0: I forgot, but this is Hap's birthday today. So let's uh, let's give happy uh, happy happy birthday. So uh, we're excited about that. Uh, also, this is we're gonna we're gonna begin our message time with prayer uh, again um, because of just some things happening, obviously within our nation, with what's happened in Charleston this week in South Carolina and the uh, the shooting in a church. And we want to be praying for healing. Uh, in our land and particularly in that uh, part of our nation and to, to recognize again that, that God um, when he began it all it, well, there's just one race a human race and so that we are um, we are all together in this uh, challenge to know God and to live for him and and there is evil in the world as, as we think about you know what does the church have uh, in response to that one is that we recognize that Evil, things like that should not surprise us, because the Bible does say, as I was talking to someone right before the, the church, is that in Jeremiah seventeen nine it says the heart is desperately wicked, and who can know it? And so that's true. Also, we want to be praying for, uh, I encourage you to be going through the book of Acts. We have a PT with God in our in our, sheets, in our bulletin each week, and I encourage you to go through this, this book that really calls uh, his people to action uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then also, we want to be praying for the longs this week as they... Um, Our missionary for the week. And so let's look to the Lord in prayer as uh, before we look in God's Word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray uh, for this day in which we do celebrate the men of our church and uh, the men in our nation and just uh, ask uh, your, not only your blessing upon them, but uh, that you might call them to faith, uh, to maturity, to live out your plan for their lives, first coming to know the Savior and then living for the Savior. Uh, We pray for those families that even with the last number of weeks, months, uh, have lost fathers, and Father, what a a painful experience this day can be, and yet it can be a day in the midst of pain, uh, in the midst of grief, uh, filled with hope because they know where their loved ones are, and they can be thankful for the days uh, and years they had with their fathers. Uh, Father, we pray for uh, those who are serving uh, their Heavenly Father in other parts of this world, and as We particularly pray this week for Tim and Patty Long and as they, in many ways, have a ministry where uh, they reach out to children within a, an impoverished community in which the fathers are absent, that you might give them strength to point them to the Heavenly Father who is a father to the fatherless. Uh, father, we pray for particularly our nation and particularly the racial divide which uh, is not found in the heart of God, in the heart of God's people, and yet often it's it's. It's spilled out in so many different ways. Uh, we just really pray for healing and for um, a real, again, awareness that apart from God changing the heart, uh, um, that uh, this will continue to be rampant in our nation. And, and Father, we just pray for this day in which we desire to, to look into your word that you might speak into our lives. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is a day that was interesting, right before the service again, uh, someone asked me, he said, what are you preaching on? And uh, they had just uh, actually heard a number of different things, and he said, are you going to give so many application points that uh, we're going to be tired of hearing messages uh, uh, as far as what God wants us to do? And uh, they had just recently heard a message, and this was... uh, a, a, a woman was talking to me about uh, this. And actually, if you're a woman, if you are the female variety this morning, I just want to let you know that you only have one application point. All you need to do is pray for the men. All right? So you can just relax because I'm going to hit the men uh, today. In fact, act- actually, after uh, last Mother's Day, uh, someone said, Well, you gave a Mother's Day message. Or are you going to give a Father's Day message? And when everything in church was traditional, every Father's Day and every Mother's Day, I gave. Father's Day and Mother's Day messages, and then I kind of got out of the habit for a few years that way, and so I was going to give a Mother's Day message this year, and then I got it kind of challenged, I got to give a Father's Day message, and if you remember back to Mother's Day, actually, we we changed the day, not to Mother's Day, but to All Ladies' Day, and so in so many ways, that's what I'm going to do this morning, is we really focus on what God says to men, and uh, some of the things you might, if you were here with us on Mother's Day and. And Father's Day is uh, also a day in which sometimes people travel; they go to where their fathers are at. But uh, for all of you men this morning, I hope, hopefully, that there'll be two things that will happen. If if you're a little bit uh, too comfortable in your role as being a man, uh, I hope to challenge you as well as challenge me in that uh, calling to be a man of God. And if you're a father, to take that role on seriously. And if you're kind of overburdened by the challenge of being a man and to be a man of God, uh, hopefully hopefully I won't be necessarily challenging you, but more encouraging you, that this is something you can be and can do by the grace of God. So I hope to, as they say, I hope to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable this morning. Um, But but as we see that this morning, I want to begin, you know, uh, Mother's Day and Father's Day is not a religious holiday. I mean, we have... As a nation, we have, we have planted it on a Sunday, and often, if you go to churches, you've been that, your experience, you'll often get that kind of emphasis on their particular day. But it is a day in which we can speak into the lives of men and women in a special way. I was reading uh, some responses to this day. One little boy's definition of Father's Day went like this, well, it's just like Mother's Day, only you don't have to spin as much. Uh, Laughter. Someone said a father is someone who carries pictures where his money used to be. Of course, now we have <laughs> pictures in our phones. Uh, but, and here's, here's a quote before cell phones came into being. I guess this is an actually true statement. And the phone company tells us that calls on Father's Day are not quite as high in number as calls on Mother's Day, uh, but there is something unique about them. Most of them used to be collect on Father's Day. <laughs> uh, so you know, And as you think about the role of father or the role of men. Uh, it, is, uh, it has become increasingly within our culture where uh, men aren't manning up. Men are not taking on that role that they should, particularly in the role of being a father. In fact, uh, from the book Man in the Mirror, and these statistics are a little bit a few years old, but this is what they said about men and particularly men taking on the role of a father. We have become a fatherless nation of the 72 million children in America will go to bed tonight without their biological father in the home. Uh, Other notable things to think about. In one 25-year study, 40% of children from divorced homes um, never married as they saw the example of their their parents, compared to 16% um, that never married if they were in intact, intact families. Fatherless children are five times as likely to live in poverty, repeat a grade, and have emotional issues. Fifty percent of children from broken homes have not seen their father in over a year. One-third of all babies born to unmarried, one-third of all babies born in America are now born to unmarried women. If you want a comparable quote to that, uh, that was only 3.8%, less than 4% in nineteen forty. Now, over 30% are are born and unmarried women. The United States now leads the world in single parent families. And then, one last comment. And this is more a generic one for all men. 93% of all people incarcerated are of one particular gender. And what would that be? The male gender. 93% of all people in jail today are men, and 85% of them had no father figure. So as we look at the role of men who have become fathers and those who are of the male gender, uh, we in America have have some issues as far as men being what men need to be. In fact, as some... um, have written, where are all the good men? And the response of those who often ask that question, the response is, they're nowhere or very slim uh, and few to be found. And so there, there is really now an attack, and some of it has some bearing based on the response of how men are living or not living. Um, as we think about all men today... Now, I want to break it down. There's only three categories of men. There are those who are single, and there are those who are married, and those who have taken on the role of being fathers. And so I just want to share some very simple, straightforward truth about what's, what, what should be our perspective as we see men uh, and as we see God's view of men. And uh, th- th- this is going to be expositional, although it's topical, and we're going to take some simple observations from the biblical text, some of the biblical texts that speak about men. And I want to begin to say this. is God's perspective is where of all the good men, and, and I, want, I, I think we need to define terms here, is that, that God can make every man what? Good. Now, this side of heaven, God will make no man perfect, And sometimes we define someone who is good has to be perfect. But but the direction of of a person's life is what we're talking about. If we're looking and putting everyone on a performance basis to be perfect, then everyone's going to fail. But God has the capacity to make every man good. And so above all else, God's people ought to be filled with hope about what God can do. But let's begin at the very beginning. How did God make man? And let's look at it. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we have this very straightforward statement. And let me just fill in the blank to begin with. He made all men were created not only good, but very good. Genesis 1, 26 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then he gave him a job to let him rule over everything. So in the very beginning, uh, before the fall, uh, God says, Okay, I've created everything on the planet, and that's good. And then he, on the last day, He created man. And after He created man, He didn't just say good. He said, Very good. And the reason He said very good, because unique to man, is that man was made in God's image and God's likeness. And so whenever we do well, we, we look like our heavenly Father. And he's given us the capacity to, to live in such a way that mirrors his attributes. And, and man has that capacity. In fact, that's exactly what happened in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Colossians 1:16 even speaks directly as far as God has given everything, and we can include men in there as well, a, a pretty important purpose. For by him, and this actually is a reference to the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus, for by him all things were created. And part of you can get your value by, by where did you come from? And sometimes we, in a, in a sick way, will say that person is important because you know, they had those parents or they had that upbringing or that's where they lived and all kinds of things. But we can go a lot farther back than that in terms of, of seeing the value of men because how did men come into being? It came through the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. For, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And, and then the purpose statement. All things have been created through him and what? And for him. So, so in the beginning, all men were created. And they were created good, not only good, but very good. And they were all created for a purpose. To, to live in such a way that they honored the creator of this universe. So, so we have a pretty high bar to, to live up to. And and God doesn't require of us that that which we cannot do by His grace and through His mercy. But obviously, sin has entered into this world and that's why we have things like Charleston, South Carolina and someone invading a church and that person who did so was a male and murdering nine people, is that though God had, in the very beginning, created all men to be good, very good, and he's given us a purpose to live for him, uh, men need to be saved. But the good news is that God wants all men to be saved. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And and, and so when we hear about what someone does, horrific as going into a church and slaughtering people, we need to recognize that's a person whom Jesus died for. And he might never turn to him at God's desire for that young man who is the child of two parents, that, that child, who is now a young man, would be saved. Now, because of the evilness of his heart, he might forever turn from the loving God, but God made every man good, very good. Now, every man falls short of the glory of God, but God, the heart of God is that all men will be saved. And hopefully, even that particular point here, you might have some people in your family circle or your friendship circle and you look at them as hopeless. And we never know when the last chance for an individual is, but everyone from the heart of God, God wants to rescue them from that which is not good in their life. So how do we see men? We see men as good, very good, and a desire for God to rescue and save them. But let's break it down into three categories. There are single men, and there are married men, and there are men who are fathers. Well, uh, just in in, in the social pressure, if you remember from when we had Mother's Day, I think it was May 10th, uh, for a a woman who doesn't get married, that's kind of the social pressure becomes more and more and more, uh, partly because they're the responsive gender in most marriage relationships. Is that when anyone gets to a certain age and they're not married, we say something must be what with them? Wrong with them. Well, that's said often, not only maybe not as loudly as often women are described that way, but that's often true about men as well. You know, when they're not married, someone will eventually think, well, I wonder what's wrong with them. And we need to understand that God does not look at people that way in terms of their. Are, their status is describing them as good or bad, whether they're single or married. In fact, there are advantages. Uh, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we turn to this passage when we looked at the, the ladies, all ladies, but this is true for both genders, is that it, it's not an issue of your marital status, it, it's, it's how you live that, that, that God is concerned about. And in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we have these words from the Apostle Paul. But this I say to you by way of concession, not of command. In other words, uh, as he's about to give his, his applicational point, he's saying that this is not saying that this applies to everyone, but I want everyone to consider this. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. And he was single. However, each man has his own gift from God. One in this manner and another in that. And then verse 8, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. So again, if we're just making simple observations in the Bible, and I just want to encourage you, there's so much in the Bible, you just read it and you go, well, damn, what did he say there? And he said to to those who are single, I I want you to know that that can be a good thing. And we talked about all men, you know, God initially created as good and and. Even no matter what status you're in, if you are single, that can be good. And if you wanted to put in terms, put a, put a label on that, uh, it is good because you can be just like the Apostle Paul. Now, probably most of us when we were growing up, we, we weren't thinking, that's what I want to be. I want to be the Apostle Paul. Now, maybe later on, if you're in church and you hear all about these stories, oh, I'd, well, maybe I'd like to be the Apostle Paul. But, but, but this, is, this is the greatest man outside of Jesus to, to live for God. And he said, you can can be like me if you happen to be single and you remain in that condition. I was reading some statistics this past week, and it was from this very scholarly magazine, Esquire magazine. And Esquire magazine said this about uh, men in our um, culture in terms of who they look for in terms of their role models. And and this is uh, is what they said. Eight percent of men said that they look to actors or entertainers as a role model. 24% 24% of men try to emulate athletes. Remember Charles Barkley? Well, Brackley. Barkley, for those who, I'm still recovering, you know, kind of sportsaholic. But, you know, a number of years ago, he, he said, I'm not your kid's role model. Well, he didn't want to be the role model, but the reality, it says that 24% of men look at athletes as their role model. Uh, 31% of men said, I'm my own role model. So they look in the mirror and said, that's who I want to be like, okay? Um, and then 35% of men look to entrepreneurs, those who are successful in business, as role models. And I want to submit to you that, that uh, there's some other role models you might want to consider. And we're obviously going to look at Jesus in, in a few moments. But the Apostle Paul made a difference for eternity in people's lives. And, and we're not even talking about his, his vocation of being a traveling preacher. But he had a heart sold out for God, and he, was, he had a singleness of, of, of purpose. And he wanted, didn't want to be distracted by anything. All he wanted to do was please God. And, and we know that the, the more complicated our life gets, uh, there's a division of responsibilities, and God made it that way. But when, when you're single, there's a little bit more freedom to kind of do whatever you want to do, and then even further, you have more freedom to do what you ought to do or what's most important in life. And he said, I, I want you to consider that. And, and how would that play out? Look at First Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 and 33, same chapter in the letter to, to the Corinth church. He said, but I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And that's a good thing. We're going to see that in a moment. That that, that is the call of of a man who is married to to please his wife. But Paul is saying, hey, you have a a certain freedom and a focus in life to to serve me. Let me just talk to a few of the the college-age people, and those are in high school and growing up. Well, you, obviously, you're, you're not married at the moment. And, and in, in some ways, during your high school years, and your college years, your young adult years, the, these ought to be years you're investing your life in speaking to people about your faith, to gathering people around you in the Word of God to, to be vigilant and praying on behalf of others. There, you know, high school is the only time where a a generation is all together. Because after high school, some go to work and some go to college. But and so you want to use those those years, not as I'm waiting, you know, for for the future to grow up. Is use those years now to serve Jesus. And, And then when you're in college, I would say there. I had more opportunities to share my faith in college than any other four-year period of time in my life. I, I must have shared the force versus laws hundreds of times to people that were around me. And, and, so, and, and even after you get past that, that, is that those years where you do not have other responsibilities, you can invest your life in the lives of others. And so men, it's all right if you're single because you can have more freedom and focus. You can be like the Apostle Paul, just centered in purpose of, of living for him. But we, but we do know there, there's another stage of life, and statistically is that most men and most women will get married. And after the Apostle Paul is saying that so strongly, is it still good for men to be married? And the answer to that is... Yes, In fact, the Apostle Paul was saying, look, at, not all of you are to be like me, but I just want to know if you are, you can feel good about that. And I would say that for any stage of life, not only before you get married, but as you, as you do get married, and then there's periods of time where for whatever reason uh, your spouse is gone, then use that for the Lord. But it's good that you are married. And, and why is that so? Well, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says this. Um, You can have a partner in life. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now, men have have used things like this as saying, Well, yeah, that's what I want. I want somebody to help me. I want them to help me pick up my clothes. I want them to help feed me. I want them to help me do the things I don't want to do at home. That's not the idea here. The idea here is, is you have a partner in life. This is a person who compliments you. This is a, this is a person that, that takes what's missing in your life and fills it. And you do it for them as well. One of, uh, one of, the, uh, one of the comments that Mother Teresa made uh, in all the different writings she had and people quoting her, that, that I've probably forgotten every single one I've ever read that she said except for this one statement. She says, of all the pain that I've seen in the world, and that was, that was her calling, to, to go to the people that physically was so distraught with disease and homelessness and, and grave poverty. And she said, the greatest pain I've ever seen in this world are the people that are all alone. And, and God created marriage so that you don't go through life just like, you know, feeling incomplete. That, that God has someone for you to make you whole. In, in some ways, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, some have said that if he had made woman first, he might not have had to make man because women are so much more together than man, right? <laughs> you know, that, that man needed someone to help them. Women, women don't need that as much, right? But it is good, man, to be married. Because you have a partner in life that you go through life with, complements you, makes you so much better than you would be if you were all alone. Uh, just a side note: it's it's always interesting to me is people often remind that of me. It says, you know, I don't think you would be very good, Mike, if you didn't have Alice. I not think you'd be something would be missing if you didn't have Alice. And that's true, but, I mean, you don't have to tell me all the time, right? <laughs> and, and for whatever reason, I, I, I didn't make this a fill in the blank, but it's, it's, it's the Jesus answer. You also can become more like Jesus. In the whole controversy we have about same-sex marriages and, and, and now the redefinition of the union of matrimony, um, Apart from the Christian perspective, is, is that we, we see this far beyond being a civil contractual relationship between two people. We see this as something that God created from the very beginning. God brought a man and a woman together and said they would become one, and they were to leave their father and mother and they would join a new, uh, form a new unit, a family unit. But, but even beyond that, that we see the, the marriage relationship between a man and a woman to be that which is to picture Christ. As God's people are the bride of the Christ, and he is the groom. And, and the man's role is to take on the role of Jesus to his bride. And, and what is that role? Uh, just, to, just to put it in a, in a verse, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, It says, husbands, love your wives just as, what's the next word there? Christ also loved the church. You say, okay, that sounds like a Hallmark card. You know, love your wife. What's the the job description? And gave himself up for her. So the role of of the husband is to be the most sacrificial person in that relationship. Now, you know, sometimes because of a leadership role, you got to make the sacrifice at that point of that person not necessarily liking where you're leading that family. And that's a tough one. There's a place of of leadership in the family where not everyone is going to like where you're headed. But you never go down that direction for selfish reasons. You, do the, you go those directions because you believe that's the best course of action. That's, the, that's where the family needs to go, whether it's geographically or occupationally or financially or whatever it might be. Never independent of the input of, of, your, of your partner in life. But when it comes down to, to what do you want to do and what do I want to do, whenever you can sacrifice your desires for your life partner, that's the role of the husband. And when you do that, you mirror Jesus. Because much more than Mother Teresa, Jesus said some things that are rather challenging in the most simplest but profound ways. It says that Jesus came not to be, what? Served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Which puts almost the mundane next to that which is so Eternal. He, he takes that sacrifice that he made on the cross, and that's the that's supreme sacrifice. There is no greater love than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends or for his life partner, his, his wife. But you, know, it, you, you only get to be a martyr how many times in life? Once, right? Uh, but you, you can serve on a daily basis. So Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And it's one thing to know that, but the Bible says in John 13, 17, if you know these things, you're only going to be happy or blessed if you, what, do them. So, so the role of, of a married man, which is it's good to be married, it's good to be single, and it's good to be married because you have a life partner that complements you and, and you want to you treat that partner well. And to treat that partner well, you want to treat them like Jesus. You want to lead like Jesus. And the way Jesus led, he was a, a servant leader. And you want to see that person's needs beyond your own. Because you're, you're calling to lift them up, just like Jesus lifted you up. And when that happens, then, then the reality of who Jesus is is shown in a powerful way to a skeptical world. In many ways, I don't believe the world is looking for signs and wonders and miracles. I mean, we, we hear that. and I've, I've talked to many people who will say that. But what what they're looking for is, is Jesus making a difference in your life, changing your life. They want to see in your life something they don't have in their life. There, there are all kinds of examples in the world about people living self-centered, selfish lives. But what God has imparted in the life of a of a person who knows the Lord and is called to marriage is to sacrificially love his life partner. So what's the point this this morning? All, all men's day, single, married, and fathers, it's good if you're single, it's good if you're married, and it's good if you're a father. And, and why is it good that you're a father? And from the very beginning, we could go through Genesis, where as he called... Uh, has created human beings to, to rule and have dominion over this world um, is he, he said I want you to be fruitful and multiply uh, God wants many children in his family and bring them birth but to bring them into physical existence it, it's beyond just being a, something new in biological and bringing a child into this world he, he wants fathers to shape the next generation in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, 1-9, through nine, it speaks not only just verbal instruction, but, but living it out daily. As you just see uh, your, your walk with God, and perfectly as it is, as, as something that's pointing those children to a living relationship with God. The book of Proverbs, which is filled with wisdom for the fathers to impart to their children. And it, it's emphasized in so many different ways throughout the first part of the book. In fact, it's emphasis on, on the, the father instructing the child. In Proverbs 1:8 says, Hear my son, your father's instruction. And in Proverbs 2, verse 1, my son, if you will receive my saying in Proverbs 3.1 my son do not forget my teaching in Proverbs 4.1 hear O sons the instruction of a father in Proverbs uh, 4.10 hear my son accept and heed my sayings my son give attention to my word Proverbs 5.1 my son give attention to my wisdom Proverbs 6.1 my son my son we observe the commandment of your father Proverbs 7.1 my son keep my words and so as you think about the role of father, the role of father is not to be passive, but be intentional in parting what you have. And that's every part of your life. But if you're not imparting your faith to your children, they'll believe in something else. And I have no way of knowing how that all works out. Because God has given each person the responsibility of making their choices. But we can shape a generation. Now there's a challenge here. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And I I was doing a variety of different things and reading about that. And I, I came up with some lists that people have made up as far as how you can do that if you want to provoke your children to anger. But let me just, you're probably not going to write down everything I'm going to say in a moment, but how do you apply that verse? Well, just think about the things that make you angry and realize if it makes you angry, that's probably what's going to make your child angry, right? And it could be, you could look at your own experience. Maybe you had a father that was rather excessive in their discipline. Well, then don't be excessive in your discipline. Maybe you had a father that was, rather distant and he didn't care what you did and that just made you mad uh, you know may, maybe you had a father that uh, was just harsh all the time and, and he was looking just a little bit for kindness may, maybe you had a father that was overprotective and usually it's mothers that are overprotective but it could be a father that's overprotective uh, may, maybe you had always the pressure to achieve you know if it, if it, if you got uh, you know a uh, a B they wanted an A. If you got an A, they wanted an A plus. Now pursuing excellence is good, but always putting a child on a performance basis. maybe you played favorites and you were raising that kind of family that made you angry Then be, guard that in your own parenting. And probably as much as anything else would be would be hypocritical. you know there's, there's a cliche that we've heard many times you don't don't do what I do, uh, just simply do what I say. Well, you know, that's like a blanket, you know, get out of jail card, say, you know, I, I don't need to live it, I just need to tell you it. Well, that would make anybody angry. And, and so we, if we want to produce something in somebody else, we've well, we got to be committed to doing it ourselves. If we want our children to, to learn to pray, then we need to be praying. If we want our children to have a heart for the word of God, then we need to be the, the word of God. If we want our children to be faithful in worship, then we want to be faithful in worship. if If, if we want our children to share their faith then we, we, we ought to be talking about people to talk to other people about jesus if If we want people to get that our children to get that servant mentality and to work hard and pursue excellence, then, then we need to do it as well. And if you, in Luke chapter six verse forty it, it says that That a a student, when it's been a student who's been fully trained, becomes a a student that doesn't simply know what his teacher knows, but he becomes like his teacher. It's good to be a father, and no father is perfect, but we want to pursue that which is good in raising and shaping up the next generation. Real quickly. You model what it means to be a man. My, my favorite passion, all God's word about manhood, is found in First Corinthians sixteen verses thirteen and fourteen. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Some have gone on this passage. First Corinthians is all a book is all about a book that is is spending most of his time on correction. This is all the things you ought to stop doing. And at the end of the book, he kind of finishes with a statement about this is what you ought to be doing, and particularly speaking to men. Men, be on the alert. I mean, be watchful. There, there are things that are going to trip you up, and if you're not careful, you'll fall. And when you fall, from a parental perspective, the ones falling you will fall. Stand firm. Have convictions. And, and I could preach just a message in this verse. Act like men. Now, this is not a permission to act like that, which you're not. He's saying you are a man, now live it out. And really the idea here is live a life of maturity. I mean, have fun, but don't be childish. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, it says, Okay, you ought to have been teachers now, but you're still eating baby food. Grow up in the faith. Be a person who can discern between that which is good and that which is evil, that which is right and that which is wrong. Be mature in your faith. Be strong. Have courage. Don't be afraid to fail. And in in surrounding all of this, just bathe it with a commitment to, to love. Not superficially, not with a whole bit of bunch of sentimentality, but, but that which seeks the best, not for yourself, but for the person that you're trying to, to impact. So what's the point this morning? It's a simple one. First of all, men and women praying for men, uh, you know, pray that they might know what God has initially made them to be, as, which is good. You're good. I made you my image, and my likeness. And I want you all to be rescued. Recognize whatever stage of life, whether they're single or married or a father, it's good. And we don't all fulfill our roles perfectly, but, but God has called us to a high calling. And He wants us to be a people that man up. I close with this. I, I, I was reading. Um, <laughs> Now, this might have been for Esquire Magazine, too, but actually it was kind of a secondary thing. But they, they, were, they were talking about this, this dating service. And they, and they, and they were saying this. And, and this is the tendency. We have a tendency to be people of extreme. Either we think we're worthless or we think way too much about ourselves. Okay? And humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking less about yourself. If you're preoccupied with yourself, you've got a problem with pride. It might be kind of in a hidden way. It's just don't think as much about yourself. There's no reason to think less of yourself because God has made you good, very good, creatively. And then when you become a child of God, you're part of his eternal family. That makes you awesome because you're a new creature in Christ. But it said this about men in, in a dating thing, and they had a variety of questions they were, they were asked. And they said to men, it said, how many of you consider yourself to be a genius? And those who were in that, that particularly uh, dating service, it said 50% of the men consider themselves to be a genius. Now, personally, I could answer it that way. But, I mean, the rest of you, I don't know. You know I, you look at You know what a genius is? And there's, there's a kind of floating definition. But to be a genius, you have to be in the 99th percentile. Which means there's no way 50% of those, those men should have considered themselves in the 99th percentile. Now, there was a person who was thinking a little bit too much about themselves. All right? Let somebody else call you a genius. You don't have to proclaim it to others, right? But the message is that, that God considers yourself good. and He's called you to such a high calling. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for every man in this church this morning. Whether on the beginning stages of manhood, they're still in junior high or high school, college, young adulthood. Or, or whether they're married or they've t- taken on the role of being a father and a grandfather. Father, might they see that you have called them to be what w- you've made them to be good. And now live a life that does good by the one and only one who can make them good on the inside, which is Jesus. Might we put our trust in the one and only Savior and Lord Jesus, and might we live for him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.